Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings be with you all, and many thanks for tuning in to the Cambridge Muslim College's special pilgrimage season programming entitled The Fifth Pillar, A Pilgrimage Through the Meanings of Hajj. We're so happy to be back with you all on the college's YouTube channel to journey together into the profound meanings of the Hajj and its immense blessings during the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah, with talks every evening at 7 p.m. British summertime until Eid. This evening, we take a moment to explore the inner dimensions of pilgrimage by looking at stories and narratives from Islamic history. Pilgrimage is so universal and central in human experience, regardless of time or place, that we can easily narrativize it and overlook the particularities of what audacious, bold, and profound forms of human movement it represents. Because pilgrimage is usually undertaken voluntarily, it represents a form of human behavior that is linked to the deeply hidden and most inner sanctums of what defines us and determines our thoughts, actions, and ways of being in the world. Tonight, we're incredibly fortunate to have the expertise of Dr. Janita Karic to shepherd our exploration of Muslim pilgrimage narratives and the incredible human stories to enact and make living the fifth pillar of Islam, i.e. the Hajj. Dr. Janita Karic completed her PhD in Near and Middle Eastern Studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies, the University of London, and is now a postdoctoral researcher at the Berlin Institute for Islamic Theology at the Humboldt University. Previously, she was a Teach at Tübingen Fellow at the University of Tübingen and also worked at the Oriental Institute in Sarajevo. Her research explores the intellectual history of the early Ottoman period, Hajj and Islam in the Balkans. She has published a number of articles in these research areas and is currently working on her book on the Hajj literature of Bosnian Muslims. So Janita, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, Assalamu alaikum everyone. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, Janita. So I thought maybe we could start by looking at human mobility and pilgrimage more generally. A lot of your scholarly work looks at the different ways humans move around and the factors involved in that movement. Can you tell us a little bit about the important aspects of what comes up when talking and thinking about mobility generally, and especially as it relates to pilgrimage? So pilgrimage is definitely a very fascinating phenomenon. Um, if we look at it just as a you know human activity or as a religious duty or if you if we look at it as you know part of an individual believer's life um, even if we compare it to other types of mobilities such as tourism so pilgrimage always somehow shines out in in, in these um, in these comparisons um, the, pil uh, the thing with the pilgrimage is that it has puzzled different researchers, anthropologists, religious scholars, historians even, um, for a large part of the 20th century. And um, I would also say that uh, specifically Islamic pilgrimage or Hajj has been um, quite puzzling for, for many of, of these researchers and scholars. Uh, so when we think about pilgrimage in the framework of mobility, uh, I think, of course, naturally the first concept which comes to, to our mind is movement. So we, we tend to think about pilgrimage as the physical movement primarily, something which requires people to exert a certain type of physical energy to, um, or even to undergo certain uh, type of um, hardships. Um, 
by moving from a place to, to, to another place, to another place. Um, also, at the same time, uh, pilgrimage, as we know from different types of religious treatises and literary treatises, uh, pilgrimage is not only physical, but this physical movement somehow ventures into, into, into the metaphorical as well. So, for example, when we say um, life is a pilgrimage, or um, if we kind of compare life to a pilgrimage, we still think um, of, of pilgrimage as something which uh, means going through different phases, going through different types of, um, let's say, hardships. Um, so movement is definitely one. Then we also, when we think about pilgrimage, we think of change, we think of transformation. So people go on pilgrimage to change something about themselves or about their community, about their family. They sometimes have um, a certain um, specific aim in mind why they're going, why, why they're undergoing um, uh, pilgrimage or why, why, they are, why they are performing pilgrimage. Um, so this element of transformation has occupied, again, a large number of scholars throughout the 20th century, especially those who were working on, on uh, those who worked on the Christian pilgrimage. Um, change is definitely one important part of it, but we also have the continuity. So for some people, uh, pilgrimage is the continuity of their active religious life of their active religious practice so it's not only uh, the transformation which is important but it's also like the culmination of, of a certain type of continuity which existed um, before um, so in certain ways we, we can definitely look at uh, into pilgrimage from so many different angles we can look at the pilgrimage from the individual angle so what the pilgrimage does to, to an individual person or what it does to a community um, as a whole um, in that regard, um, many scholars throughout the 20th century, as I said, they tried to work on the meanings of the pilgrimage. And there was this very um, overt focus on, on how do we define pilgrimage in general, but also how do, what, what do we do with, with Hajj? So Hajj was a, was, uh, has been a specifically tough problem for, for many scholars because you have, a set, uh, you have set rights which haven't changed. And of course, we all know that there are distinct religious narratives behind each of these rites. But then again, uh, each individual believer imbues these rites with um, meanings which are you know, very particular, very distinctive. So that was something which puzzled many people throughout uh, the 20th century. And I especially, I especially like um, the essay by uh, Marion Katz, which I, I like to quote, very often, uh, where she, in a way, compares the uh, pre-modern and modern perspectives on Hajj and the way meaning plays into that. Um, and basically what that essay inspired um, me, and, and I hope um, it inspired many other scholars as well, is to look not only into meanings which people have given to Hajj, but also uh, to look what Hajj actually did. So just the the, the from the practical side, watch what Hajj means to people, what Hajj does to people in, in their very common lives, in their ordinary lives. So Janita, maybe you could just elaborate a little bit about why Hajj formed such a complex issue for these scholars working on pilgrimage. So I, I would say that a part of um, the problem lies in the modern um, fixation on finding meaning, finding a very strict and 
um, one meaning, which is something which Hajj does not allow. So you have a framework, of course, the rights are set and that's definitely fixed, but meanings um, are something which, are imbu which is imbued by individual believers, uh, by the communities, um, and sometimes it's not only about meanings, it's about what Hajj does for these people. So for example, when we, when we talk about, for example, standing on the Arafat, um, many scholars would try to find the deeper meaning behind it. But maybe for, for a lot of believers, that just means that it's like obeying God and respecting duties and, and that's it. So I would say that this is probably the result of the, as I said, the modern fixation on uh, tracking meanings. So everything has to have a very, very fixed, uh, strict meaning and Hajj is simply way um, beyond that. Mm -hmm. So something you highlight in your work um, in this you know, incredible aspect of pilgrimage is that not only do people undertake these journeys, but they write about them. Can you explain why that's significant, why this writing about it is significant and some of the ways that it appears in, in sources? So this impulse to write um, and its connection to, to pilgrimage is something which is of course not, not um, it's, it, it doesn't work exclusively for Muslims. Um, I think one of the first pilgrimage narratives of Christianity was by Egeria, who, was, um, who, who, who wrote her pilgrimage account and, and dedicated it to, to her sisters in the fourth century. So um, in a way, um, writing about pilgrimage is, is a universal phenomenon in, 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 in some ways. Um, and of course, when we look at uh, different travelogues from uh, Islamic history, we can see that a large part of it is dedicated to Hajj. Um, and I would say that there are probably two main reasons why people wrote about Hajj, to put it very, very roughly. So the first one is um, people needed to uh, pass on the information to the, to the pilgrims who would come after. So people wrote about very practical things such as, well, this is the, the way you go to, to um, Mecca and you have to stop here and here and you have to stop in, I don't know, Damascus and then you, have, you pass this place and that place. And sometimes it would be really, really, um, you would get like very down to earth information, very mundane information. Um, you have food and water in this place, but there is not enough fresh water in the, in the village next to it. Um, sometimes this mundane crosses over into um, other realms. So people would write about different ziyarat on the way to Hajj. They would mention, for example, tombs of different evliya, of prophet's companions. Um, so sometimes it, it would venture in, in, into some other aspect and then it would, in a way, connect the main mobility, the main um, purpose with you know, other types of smaller, lesser pilgrimages on, on the way to Hajj. Was the, this sort of conscious? Was this consciously done? Is this kind of narrative, descriptive, or is it prescriptive? Like, i.e. walk this way and take this turn and um, visit this site on your way and here's how to... I, you know, you, you have both. You have both. You have narrative and you have prescriptive as well. You have different types of, of, of those uh, writings which are directed to the future pilgrim. So it's in a way future oriented. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's just one aspect of writing about Hajj. And the question of 
why people write about Hajj has been really bothering me for, for, for years. Um, and what I come to, to realize is that um, there is definitely another reason why people write about Hajj. And that is uh, they simply want to expand or extend their experience of Hajj beyond the very space and, and time limitations of the Hajj ritual. So they want to, in a way, earn the virtuous deed beyond the confines of, of the Hajj ritual itself. So they write about their experiences. So they write about their very internal um, experiences about Hajj because they want to get another, um, they, they, want to, they simply want to extend the experience. Um, and this is also the reason why you get many authors who are not, not just ulema, so not only very highly literate or very highly um, educated members of the society, but you also get people who, for example, would write about Hajj um, and that would be probably the only thing that they would write in their lives. Um, and of course, this is just one aspect of it. We also have, um, apart from Hajj writings, we also have different types of expressions of uh, this particular religious experience in folk songs, um, in folklore, um, in visual culture. Um, so this writing about Hajj is just one aspect of it. And what do you, would you say are some of the ways that this plays out in Muslim sources? I mean, what kinds of pilgrimage, the actual narratives themselves, what kinds of things, and can you give us some examples of in the broader context in Muslim sources, what we find mm -hmm. in Hajj? So Muslims, uh, they wrote in, in, in a number of genres. So it's not only the travelogue genre or the travel writing. Um, so of course, travel writing is something which comes first to, to one's mind because it's very, it's very prominent, it's very visible. It's, uh, those sources are in a way very interesting to read. Uh, and they do describe Hajj both as journey and as a ritual, which you don't really get in some other sources. So of course we, we have uh, a large number of uh, very famous Hajj uh, narratives or Hajj narratives which are embedded in larger parts or uh, Hajj narratives which are embedded in larger works uh, or larger um, travelogues uh, by Ibn Battuta, by Ibn Jubair, uh, by um, Elia Chalabi uh, and, and later on. Um, what, what is also really interesting to, to note is that there is a surge in writing about Hajj in the form of the travel writing um, in the 19th century, uh, beginning of the 20th century, especially from the side of, um, let's say, Muslim converts. So in a, in a sense, Hajj narrative travelogue uh, in, in that regard becomes almost a, a confessional um, literature as well, because people are, pro uh, people, are, people are writing not only about Hajj itself, but they're also writing about themselves. Um, so that's one part of uh, the whole, um, let's say, corpus of literature of writing about Hajj. On the other hand, we have um, a large number of different genres which are talking specific, specifically about places. Um, and they're talking specifically about the virtues of these places. So, for example, um, the Fadail literature is extremely rich in that regard. Uh, the Fadail, especially of Mecca and Medina, 
which were highly influential, which were read by not only the ulema, but also the different parts of, of the society, of pre-modern society, which stressed the inner virtue, uh, the inner uh, preference or favila of, of these places. And then, of course, you have also writings which um, are dedicated specifically to certain parts of uh, these places. Um, so what I find really interesting is, for example, um, Ibn Arabi's treatise or, or his treatment of uh, the Black Stone of Hajar al-Aswad, which uh, in a way got, it, got its, uh, it, its reflection in, um, in the 16th and the 17th century um, Ottoman thought as well. So the writings about Hajj are really diverse and pre-modern writings about Hajj are as diverse as the modern writings on Hajj. And modern writings on Hajj um, are specific because they employ a different type of, uh, they employ a variety of media as well. So what we see in, in the modern sources is the inclusion of photography, for example, uh, drawings, um, and also in the, let's say, couple of, um, last couple of decades, what you can see is the emergence of the Hajj narratives, which are published online. So it's a completely different, um, let's say, media, which at the same time conveys the same uh, continuous message of, of devotion to, to, to Hajj and devotion to Mecca. Mm -hmm. Would you say there's any more significant differences between these pre-modern and, and, and uh, modern perspectives? How did they differ in their perspective? So first of all, I, I would say that uh, they definitely show to us the continuity of devotion to Hajj and Mecca and Medina. So, um, you know, the, the zeal to, to see these places, to, to go on Hajj, I would say that it's definitely the same in the pre-modern and the modern period. So that is something which doesn't change. But I would say that um, the experience itself is not timeless. So it definitely is um, influenced by um, sociocultural context, sometimes by political context as well. So I would say that um, the role of different empires produced different types of literature, of course. Um, and in the 20th century, in the modern period, um, nation state created or influenced people to think in, in some different ways. But if, if, I if I were to kind of divide at least the material I was working on, into two uh, pre-modern and, and modern um, aspects. I would definitely say that the pre-modern literature on Hajj is marked by prophet-oriented devotion. And modern uh, literature on Hajj is more socially oriented. So that's definitely the, the, the let's say, the division which I see on, on the literature I was working on. So the pre-modern literature uh, is devoted uh, in, a large, uh, in a large part to, um, to the significance of the prophet in the framework of Hajj. So the significance of Medina almost. Uh, on the other hand, the modern uh, Hajj is preoccupied by the effect which Hajj can have on people, on communities, uh, on nations beyond uh, the confines of Mecca and Medina. So that would be a very rough division, uh, or, or at least something which I saw in, in my own material. 
that's so fascinating. I think it's a perfect way to bridge into your material, actually, because we're so fortunate to have you here, not only as a scholar of Muslim mobility history, but also an expert on Bosnian Hajj narratives, um, in which we can really get a sense of how this idea of nation and who you, where, who and where you belong in the world uh, can play out in a really significant way. So can you tell us about your work in this area and uh, what we can learn about Bosnian Hajj stories and narratives? So what I try to do with um, my first thesis now book, inshallah, um, is um, I wanted to see how people experienced Hajj from the perceived margins of the Muslim world. So these margins are, of course, artificial, perceived, um, they are created, they are not real, but they're, they're still, they still function as something uh, important for, for uh, you know, many scholars and um, for many people as well. So I wanted to see how Bosnian Muslims experienced Hajj in a um, long duration perspective, so from the 16th to the 21st century. I wanted to see what changes. I wanted to see um, how the social context influences uh, their way, uh, how they perceive the Hajj, and also how they, um, in a way, influence the writing on that tradition themselves. So um, in that sense, I, I was kind of playing with, with the um, uh, concept um, of discursive tradition. So how do Muslims contribute to this tradition as well? It's not only that they build upon, it's not only that they, you know, follow the tradition, but they also bring something new into it. Um, at the same time, what I could notice is that, um, although of course there is a very par particular, very distinct perspective of Bosnian Muslims, especially in the modern period. Um, there is also um, a chain of continuities, a chain of uh, ways in which Muslims are connected, Bosnian Muslims are connected with um, their brothers and sisters across the, the Muslim world. Um, and sometimes these connections are, of course, um, framed by the imperial framework. So for example, Bosnian Muslims, uh, Ottoman Bosnian Muslims wrote in the same style, in the same genre, in the same language, even as their counterparts in, in Anatolia or in Arab provinces. So they, there's practically no difference between these two, uh, be, between, between them. But at the same time, you, have, you of course notice a very local, very uh, peculiar perspective on, on certain issues. Um, related to, to the journey to Hajj, for example. So I wanted to see that the, both the particular and, and the, let's say, universal or, or general uh, about Bosnian Muslims and, and their experience as, you know, um, as a community with, uh, which is set in a, in a very geographically interesting um, region and, and historically very interesting uh, region. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us, Janita, really in, as a way of letting us preview into this world, because I think as we were discussing before, so many of us will have so little insight into the world of Bosnian Hajj. What sorts of stories did you come across and, and what sort of inner, inner worlds did you, did you uncover in your, in your research of this? So um, the stories are very, very diverse. Uh, the genres are diverse and sometimes you don't really get the full um, inner perspective of the author because of the constraints of the genre. Uh, but I would say that in my work, uh, I've divided it in, into several periods. 
So the first period um, when we see the emergence of the literature about Hajj and the literature about Mecca and Medina is um, 16th and the 17th century. And the works uh, we get from, from this part, from this century is, uh, are usually written by Sufi Muslims. Um, so for example, Ali Dede al-Bosnavi, who was a very interesting uh, person who uh, was um, a guardian of, of a tomb of uh, Sultan Suleiman in Hungary, in what, what's modern day Hungary. Um, so he was also appointed to um, oversee a reconstruction of a part of uh, Harem in, in Mecca. So he wrote a couple of um, works dedicated to, dedicated to this. So what we can see there is, um, what I found really interesting is that their sense of locality, their sense of their local um, origin from Bosnia uh, is only visible in their, um, basically in, in, in the part of their name, which is Al-Bosnavi. It's not really visible when they're talking about Hajj. It's not visible when they're talking about holy places. So it seems to me that they are fully immersed in um, their impression of, of the holy, uh, forgetting their origins, or maybe not even, I mean, forgetting it is not, is not a great word, maybe not regarding it as something which is important uh, in, in that particular moment, or when writing about this particular um, place. Um, I would also um, like to mention uh, Abdullah Bosnavi, who was an extremely important um, interpreter uh, of Ibn Arabi's work uh, in the early modern Ottoman period. So he has a treatise which, uh, where he explains Ibn Arabi's uh, view on uh, the black stone. So uh, I found that treatise extremely interesting because he is actually giving the primacy to, to the stone over the humans. So he completely inverts the hierarchy, places this stone which is um, humble, uh, above humans and plants and animals and, and, and all other created uh, beings. So he completely inverts the hierarchy there. Um, when we move slightly towards uh, 18th century, the number of authors who are writing about Hajj um, is increasing. So we have not only the ulema, which was in, in service of, of the Sultan, but we also have different merchants, traders who are writing about Hajj. Um, what appears there is this slightly rising sense of locality, of, of local consciousness. Uh, so people are aware that they're Bosnian and that they're going to Hajj as Bosnian Muslims. And that's what I found really interesting because they compare themselves to other Muslims. They anticipate other Muslims as well. So they, they want to meet the other. So um, in, in some sense, uh, when I was reading these manuscripts, and many of them were in, in Ottoman Turkish, especially those which um, mentioned Bosnia a lot, um, I was reminded how utterly wrong Bernard Lewis was when he said that Muslims were not interested in you know, discovering the other, exploring, uh, etc. Um, Muslims were simply focused on, many Muslims were extremely focused on meeting the other Muslim. So fellow, fellow brothers and, and fellow sisters. Um, so as we move into, into the modern period, so the late 19th century, early 20th century, that's when um, this range of meanings given to Hajj starts to appear. 
and sometimes, um, yes, sometimes you can see the direct influence of the very common, very, um, let's say, some, certain types of um, opinions which circulated in this period. So, for example, there is a lot of uh, comparison between Hajj um, and um, socialism, for example, or Hajj and uh, how Hajj is rational, how Hajj is a rational ritual. So there is a lot of that. Uh, but at the same time, what, what I think is, um, yes, you would have these, let's say, mainstream narratives, which had to be written because sometimes, you know, people read certain things and they wanted to write about uh, things in, in, in the fashion of their age. But sometimes you would get like true rebels who wrote about Hajj, such as, for, for example, uh, Sheikh Faizullah Hajj Bayrich, who in 1960. Nine, I think, wrote about Hajj from a Sufi perspective, which was simply at that time it was not something which was usually done. So he wrote it in this. In, 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 he tried to find, you know, both Zahir and Batin of, of Hajj, and he really tried to trace the the, the symbolical um, value of, of Hajj. So um, it's really hard to, um, in a way, point out the Bosnian Muslim perspective on Hajj. So there is not one perspective on Hajj. There is a, a multiplicity of these different perspectives on Hajj. Um, what I find interesting in the 20th century is the rise of, uh, let, let's say, uh, marginalized voices or the voices which were not present um, that much in the pre-modern period. So for example, women start writing about Hajj in, in, in large numbers. Um, and I always mention um, a very interesting case of two ladies who went on Hajj driving uh, by themselves all the way to Mecca. And then they uh, wrote about Hajj as well. Um, and their Hajj narrative, I mean, the, the very um, path of, of this Hajj narrative is really interesting because um, they did not publish it immediately after they returned back from Hajj in 1981. It would be, I think, uh, in that time, it would be probably um, a bit dangerous for them to publish something like that. But uh, one of them died in 2013, and that is when her travelogue was published. So I was interested to see not only the stories of these pilgrims, but also how um, what happened to their work. Because I, I, I think the Hajj travels, travel accounts themselves have a, a very distinct path as well. Um, so a variety of perspectives on, on Hajj is definitely something which um, characterizes the, the Bosnian Hajj. Danita, is there any difference? I mean, you touched on this just now. First with these, these the increase of women travel, right? I mean, we would love to hear more about these two driving rebels. They sound like a, a very fascinating story. If you wouldn't mind maybe sharing a little bit more about that with us too. And then, um, the second thing I wanted to ask you was under the sort of what most outsiders assume was a repressive sort of communist uh, Yugoslavia. How did Hajj play out during during that time? And it, I mean, how what did the Hajj even look like during that time? So those would be my two questions. So basically, I mean, the, those two questions are definitely intertwined. So um, I'll just start by saying that although, of course. Uh, there was a state ban on um, certain religious activities. There was a state ban on face veil, which was uh, issued, I think, in 1950. Um, so there were a lot of restrictions for Muslims in that period. Um, still, the restrictions somehow slowly started to ease as, you know, um, 
the decades of, of the Yugoslav rule past. So what we, can, what we can see from the sources is that public life of Muslims was restricted, but uh, religious life or devotional life was never severely restricted. So people could still go to, to, to mosques, they could still um, you know, practice religion in, in some ways, maybe even better than, than some of the surrounding countries. So what happened with Hajj is that in the beginning of, um, of the Yugoslav rule, Hajj was um, allowed only for a very select few of people, those who were approved by the state and Hajj was also utilized. Um, it was used uh, as a way to, uh, for Yugoslavia to present itself as a state which is benevolent towards its Muslim population. So, you know, you select a couple of people who are going to, to Mecca and they are going to talk nicely about Yugoslavia. And then when they come back, they write, you know, these Hajj travelogues and they, then they present Yugoslavia as, as, you know, benevolent state to its own citizens. So it was, you know, Hajj was used in both ways. Um, however, later on, uh, with the rise of uh, travel agencies, especially, uh, in the 1960s, so with the rise of uh, jet travel and then uh, bus travel as well, um, there a larger, uh, an ever increasing number of Muslims is going on Hajj. So um, the numbers have increased towards, um, you know, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. Uh, the travelogue of these two women, which um, I mentioned uh, earlier, is, I mean, the, their travel happened in the 1981. So one of them um, was a member of, uh, when she was young, she was a member of the uh, Young Muslim Movement in Bosnia, which was of course an organization which was outlawed after the Second World War. So she spent a couple of years in prison. Because she had that experience of being in prison, um, she needed to kind of not be so visible with her Hajj travel in the 1980s, although, you know, her her past was behind her, you know, uh, Yugoslavia was seemingly benevolent towards uh, Muslims going on Hajj. Still, she wanted to kind of uh, keep low and, and, and stay out of public, um, public eye. So she and her friend, together with their husbands, decided to go on Hajj by car. Because in that way, uh, unlike going on Hajj by bus or going on Hajj by airplane, you could still kind of hide your trace so, you know, you could say that you're going to visit your relatives in Turkey or that you're going to, you know, see Damascus or Cairo. So nobody really questioned you about that. So that's what they did. So they, they took a car um, and they drove all the way to, to Mecca and Medina. And it was really interesting to see that they were not stopped by uh, the Saudi authorities. They, I mean, they, they were stopped a couple of times, but they were let go. So they were driving through Saudi Arabia, like without... Um, going through any, any kind of trouble. And uh, what was really interesting to, for me to notice is that one of, them, uh, one of them was working, but the other one was a housewife. And how the two of them uh, embedded a very common um, socialist slogan, which is brotherhood and unity, you know, something which you hear everywhere. So they embedded this uh, slogan, brotherhood and unity, in their travelogues saying, well, Ummah is the true brotherhood and unity. So they used the slogan, they used the socialist slogan, but they appropriated it for their own purposes. And I, that's something which I found really fascinating, how people can actually use something which they see as 
you know, common good, it's a good slogan, brotherhood and unity, bratstvo jedinstvo. But then you use it for, for your own purposes to kind of express your own feeling um, about what is the true brotherhood and unity for you. Um, so um, the two of them went on Hajj and, and returned from Hajj without any, any problems. And then um, the travelogue of, of Hidayata was, was finally published after she died. Danita, what an incredible story. You've got some great images here, um, which you very kindly shared with us, which also kind of give more color to these incredibly human stories that you've been sharing. Can you tell us about these photographs that you've got? Um, so basically, the, the first one is um, the image I took from the archives in, in Sarajevo. Um, and this is a part of the uh, Dalai Lohayrat. Uh, which depicts, as you can see, different objects related to um, Mecca. And what I find really interesting here um, is this portable stairs in the lower right corner of, of, the, um, of the picture, of the painting. Um, and I've inquired around and apparently those are portable stairs which you can, uh, which people used to be able to climb up to the doors on Kaaba. But it's really, really peculiar, and I've never seen um, portable stairs used like this in, in a manuscript. Because in the beginning, I just thought it, it's actually, you know, the portable mimber or something. Uh, and apparently, there is such thing as portable mimber as well. <laughs> so um, it, it, I, I think it, it's it's kind of an interesting image and um, shows what um, attracted the attention of, of the 18th century uh, painter slash author slash copyist. Incredible, yeah. And this one? So um, this is a postcard taken from, um, which um, I found in the book of, uh, book titled Kutsal Yoljuluk, or The Holy Journey, um, by um, like a set of different postcards on, on Hajj collected by Murat Kargili. Um, and these ones, this one uh, depicts uh, Bosnian Muslim women seeing off hajis uh, somewhere towards the late 19th century. Um, and this one, I think, is also from the same period. Uh, what, I find, what, what I found interesting on, on this postcard is that um, there is this depiction of train. So it's really interesting how modern technology immediately found its way into depictions of Hajj, into narrations of Hajj, and it's definitely one of the key elements of, of the modern Hajj as well. Uh, this is something which attracted my attention when um, I visited my, my relatives in the northwest part of Bosnia. Uh, basically, um, around certain mosques or around graveyards, um, you can see a number of these stones which carry the name um, of the person, uh, which also carry the um, short note, Obavio Hajj or Obavila Hajj, which means performed Hajj for both uh, male and female. And there are two dates here. So the first one is when the person was born. The second one is not when the person died, but when the person went on Hajj. So I thought it was really interesting how um, the life is in, in a way um, circumscribed by the year of birth and the year of Hajj, which, we, which is performed, uh, and not necessarily by the year when, when the person died. Uh, and for me, this is also really interesting because it, it shows us the way how 
um, Hajj can leave traces on um, the local territory or uh, it left you know, traces in, in a village which was far away from Mecca and Medina. So it's, it's visible for uh, the majority of, of, of Muslims who are never going to be able to go on Hajj because realistically, majority of Muslims are not able to go on Hajj. But Hajj still features as something extremely important in their lives. Um, so also it, it kind of marks their um, environment. How oh, incredible to be memorialized in, in plaque form like this. That's incredible. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I also think that they actually revised, uh, they, they uh, tried to um, rejuvenate the, the custom uh, in, in, in the early 21st century. So I think it, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe um, we, we could end uh, by quoting these two excerpts from two travelogues which are separated by a couple of centuries. So the first excerpt is by Haji Yusuf Livniak from the 17th century. So um, his travelogue is the first known Bosnian travelogue in, in first person. Um, maybe uh, there were more travelogues written before uh, the 17th century, but we don't know. Uh, we simply don't have any, in, um, any other travelogue in, in, in physical form that we can point uh, point two. So um, I thought this this um, excerpt was really interesting because it says, "Thanks be to God who made me closer to the Prophet's mosque, and with his generosity allowed me to reach Ahmed's qibla and brought me to visit the graves of God's friends who are perfect and perfected. They are friends of God and the Prophet's deputies. Salawat are said for him, the one who who God said lawlake." and his descendants who are the fruits of kings and his followers who are distinguished by the usage of miswak. So um, many things to unpack here, but um, just quickly, um, he refers here to the hadith, which, is, which was commonly used uh, in Sufi texts of, of this period and is obviously uh, directed to the prophet Muhammad. Uh, and also what I found really interesting is that he emphasizes his belonging to the community which uses miswak. So that was, for him, that was the community he wanted to belong to. Um, the second excerpt uh, is the excerpt from the travelogue uh, of Hidayat Tamirevic, which, which, which I talked about. Uh, when she describes um, her night uh, under the uh, Arabian stars, as, as she put it. So she says, we slept outside, got into our sleeping bags and thus spent our first night in the desert. It is a special experience. The, the sky is full of stars and is close. The desert makes you think only of Allah. And I had a feeling that the whole dunya was left behind us and that I'm here with my life account in front of Allah. I could not sleep for a long time. And that is when I realized the purpose of Hajj. But what is interesting is that she doesn't really say what the purpose of Hajj is. So she, she probably couldn't express it in the words. And that's also something which is um, a common feature of, of, of the travelogues, because, uh, of Hajj travelogues. Uh, people describe their experience of Hajj, but sometimes words are not enough. So um, sometimes you, what you get is a, a very detailed description of other places on the way to Hajj. But Hajj gets like a very, very short um, just very like short passage or two, probably because people thought that they couldn't put everything in, in words. 
That is so beautiful, Janita. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I am just so grateful to you for sharing your insights on Hajj narratives and especially your expertise on Bosnian Hajj stories since we're only just beginning to obtain a more in-depth understanding of these particular narratives, thanks in large part to the work that you're putting in to, to bring them to the fore. Um, you've shown us how movement and mobility takes place for all sorts of reasons and the importance of recognizing pilgrimage as an extraordinary movement of people, one that gives us insight into the lived devotional lives of people who undertake these journeys. Um, and in so doing, you reminded us how the pillars of Islam fundamentally are about making the ordinary extraordinary or recognizing the potential for sanctity innate to all things, all parts of lived experience, um, from the ones we endeavor to undertake in every moment, like the Shahada, to those we attempt once in a lifetime, like the Hajj, made so profoundly clear by that beautiful quote from, from Hedayata. Um, I want to thank you also for giving us a window into the richness of Hajj travelogues, firstly as a window into the historical logistics and practicalities, and also importantly into the inner devotional lives of, of non-elite Muslims, showing us inspiring stories of human ingenuity, capacities for exertion and courage, and of course, sincerity even in the face of hardship. And also how these stories tell us so much about larger context. I mean, that's a story that um, we have to hear from you at, at another time as well, is what these travelogues are, what they enable us to understand about larger stories. Um, and importantly, I'm so grateful that you showed us the diversity and range of what writing about the Hajj journey looks like. Um, this seems especially important um, in the modern age when we're able to share with much more immediacy and convenience. And yet there's certainly a difference between Insta live streaming one's experience and writing it um, with that critical pause between experience of event and recording of it. So central to when we write about the, the human experience, especially the human experience of pilgrimage. Janita, thank you so much for your time and brilliant insights. Thank you very much um, for the opportunity to share some of the perspectives of my hajis, because I'm calling them my hajis. <laughs> um, and I hope I did them right. You very much did. And I think we're all very excited for your book now. So please, please take all our dua that this book um, reaches fruition and we'll be very excited to read it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in and for your continued support of the tremendous work that the Cambridge Muslim College undertakes. I wish you all a truly blessed and beautiful season of pilgrimage and the glad tidings of Eid. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Support the next generation of Muslim thinkers by donating today at cambridgemuslimcollege.ac.uk.